I mean, for me, it's it's Le Mans when I won it in 2020. I mean, the 2020 season was was pretty impressive. Um, we won the European Le Mans series, we won the World Endurance Championship, and we won Le Mans. But quite often, if you win Le Mans, you win WEC. Um, Le Mans weighted with double points, so it's quite it's quite common that the person that wins Le Mans, the team that wins Le Mans, win win WEC. And to do all three was was amazing. Um, caveat to that was it was during COVID, so. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Track Limits Podcast. I'm your host, Swish, joined by my co-hosts, Effie and Henny. Today we have a really awesome guest, the youngest driver to ever finish in the top 10 at Le Mans, Bill Hansen. Welcome. welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got the statistic right, because I think... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the youngest driver to win. I'm not yeah. the youngest... I think I'm the youngest Brit to win, but... Um... But yeah, I think they somehow managed to find a like yeah, a statistic that, that made the sound good. I mean, that's incredible. Regardless, yeah. seriously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, not a lot can say that. But I'm super excited. How are you doing though? Off season's been been kind of fine. Is this an off season for you? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. Obviously, our calendars sort of similar to most racing calendars: March, April to November. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often we have winter series, so I'm doing what would normally be a winter series in what I'm kind of going there tomorrow uh, for the Asian Le Mans series right um in Pro-Am um but normally yeah that's that's in the past been from December January through to February um but now they've they've realized that teams struggle to kind of get cars around in between the season with this yeah. normal season starting in March and April but yeah so I've had like a nice three months off so wow. it's been as about as good as off season I've had for nice. the last five years what were you doing a lot of training a lot yeah. of fitness <laughs> yeah. um it kind of dictates my life it's a big part of my life um yeah. But I also spent lots of time um, abroad. You know, I went to Austria with my family, and then um, I, I took a small fitness camp to, to Norway recently. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've really made the most of it this year. Nice. Well, I mean, this podcast we're going to go for about an hour, and we split up our podcast into Q1, which is all racing related questions. Q2, which is a little bit more about you off the track, who you are, how you kind of became who you are today, and then finally Q3 is our rapid fire round. Yeah. We're going to pepper you with a bunch of questions. Yeah. And Q3 is always the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is. He is exactly. uh, organized quite. Uh, you know, good questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at it. Tough question. Yeah, tough question. But are, are you ready to get into Q1? Yeah, 100%. Perfect. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, and I think you kind of touched on it here with the training side, but what does the day-to-day life for Phil look like? And kind of maybe during the season and off the season as well. Yeah. yeah. So in the off-season, which kind of just ended, mm-hmm. um, it was pretty much wake up, train. I have a morning session is normally predominantly cardio. Um, I mean, it always is cardio, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about an hour long. Um a mix between interval and just strict um, steady state stuff um, and yeah so I'll do that typically from between 10 and 11 starting obviously an hour long shower change then have my first like real meal of the day I might have like a snack before then but nothing serious then do anything I need to do in the day like groceries shopping emails whatever you yeah. know like normal <laughs> stuff Netflix will definitely nice. have a role in that part yeah. <laughs> Um, and then start to get the energy back for my second session, which is like basically just CrossFit. Right. Um, so again, predominantly cardio based, um, but with a lot more strength exercises. And um, I try and stay away from hypertrophy like too much muscle building because obviously we're trying to stay light, hence mm-hmm. all the cardio. Um, but there's a lot of endurance stuff, a lot of strength stuff there too. Um, so that's typically the day. Then I'll shower again. I find myself always showering yeah. these <laughs> days because, yeah, I'm working quite hard, so sweating a lot. And then, um, 
yeah, dinner, I cook all myself. So um, nice. th that's the good thing about the pandemic for me is I actually learned how to cook. Nice. Um, well, I mean, you're kind of forced to because yeah. also where I live, there was no takeaways. Mm. Uh, apart from like the small pubs in the area what mm. started doing takeaways. But the, by the time I caught on to that, like it was already too late. Right. Um, so I was kind of forced to, to cook, which, which was a blessing in disguise, I guess. Cool. That's awesome. And then in terms of up till this point, you know, in about 30 seconds or so, tell us, like, what are you the most proud about? Like, in within your career, what were some defining milestones within your career? I mean, for me, yeah. it's, it's Le Mans when I won yeah. it in 2020. I mean, the 2020 season was was pretty impressive. Um, we won the European Le Mans series, we won the World Endurance Championship, and we won Le Mans. But yeah. quite often, if you win Le Mans, you win WEC. Um, Le Mans weighted with double points, so mm. it's quite it's quite common that the person that wins Le Mans, the team that wins Le Mans, win, win WEC. And to do all three was was amazing. Um, caveat to that was it was during COVID, so wow. the celebrations may, yeah. may could you have been the better. The first person to do that, right? Yeah, first person to win all three. Um, and I think it was the youngest Brit to win um, any class at Le Mans, um, which is pretty cool. But oh, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything, to be honest. Um, happy memories. I just wish I didn't have the mask on in all the photos. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, you, you never too. know, you know, you, you might not ever win it again. It's, it's one of the toughest yeah. races in the world. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the goal next couple of years is to do it again this time hopefully no mask in the photos and uh hmm. and yeah it's, it's it's been proven challenging the last couple of years we've we've had a lot of reliability issues and other things happen i mean last year it wasn't a reliability issue but we can get into that later <laughs> um but yeah that's definitely the highlight yeah and how do, how do you go on to prepare for a, a, a race like le mans you know what is your regiment there yeah i mean well le mans i try and like peak my fitness around le mans obviously it's the most important one yeah i, I think I, myself like on the side of being too fit or easily able to do the other races mm -hmm. apart from some of the really hot ones if you get high temperatures in sea ring or in america um but then le mans is obviously the one that we're always you know training for it's, yep. it's you can burn like sort of seven thousand calories in in that 24 hours That's and ridiculous. it's the limited sleep it's hard to simulate um I'd say the best way to train for it is to do Le Mans, but you yeah. can only do it once a year. Um, as a spectator, it was it was tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, even as a spectator, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, you could barely sleep. Yeah. Yeah, in 21, I was like at the at the motorhome. I, I just slept for like half an hour. I forgot that I was in Le Mans, you, you know, that split second. Yeah. I woke up 18 or some ridiculous amount of hours to go. I was like, where is this going to end? Yeah, and that's the thing, like we're at Le Mans, um, what makes it so difficult is the lack of sleep and the fact that it doesn't end up being a 24-hour race. It ends up being a 32 hours worth of being mm -hmm. awake. And also, yeah. not just for us, for the guys, the mechanics, the engineers who wake up quite early that day, the break, the start of the race, doing all the meetings. We have to be there with a few hours to spare, obviously, for the you know inaugural presentation of the flag and things like that and media stuff. Um, but yeah, it turns into a, a long, old race. And I before the year we won it, I used to sleep at Le Mans quite well. I used to sleep like a few hours, definitely a few hours. And a lot of drivers used to sort of say like, oh, I can't sleep. Like, <laughs> I only get 10 minutes of sleep. And they go, I only get five. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I used to be like, well, it's just like a, an ego measuring contest yeah. until like the year we were leading and we were fighting the whole, I genuinely couldn't switch off. I was like lying in bed, like knowing I had to sleep because I'm exhausted. Yeah. And my heart's racing, the adrenaline's still pumping. And, and I, I genuinely didn't sleep at all that that year and i was like well i'm eating my words now because yeah. I've, I've just been making fun of all these guys <laughs> yeah, you did it. um exactly and yeah and that's the reality you don't really want to sleep mm -hmm. and wake up and then have someone wake you up for example and say you've had a mechanical issue someone's crashed into you which you know it happens and you're more often going to get the heartbreak than you are going to get the success and 
I can, I'm a testimony to that because I think I've done it now six times and I've won it once, fortunately, but um, out of the other six, no podiums. Right. Um, last year, for example, we, we were taken out in the first six seconds. It was the shortest Le Mans I've, I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then a very, very, very long, long Le Mans thereafter because it was 23 hours, 59 minutes and 56 seconds of yeah, driving around, yeah. honestly, because you know you hit, you see like three laps down. You're like, well, you know, if you're really fast, it's like a lap around there is three and a half minutes. So the leader needs to stop, yeah, pull over, have yeah. a burger for eleven <laughs> minutes for us to get that time back. Yeah, and we actually ended up finishing the top ten. Wow. So it was it was a tremendous effort from from everyone involved. But yeah, how you train for that, how you prepare, Le Mans is the yes, only preparation. True. I try my right. best in what I can simulate. You know, um, cardio side and trying to match heart rate zones that I might be, you know, in at Le Mans physically. Um, but mentally, nothing can prepare you really apart from doing it with the experience. Yeah. Talking about like preparation, do you do sim, like right? Sim stuff. Um, I have a sim at home, no. um, but I fell into that because of COVID. Mm. Everyone playing on iRacing and I kind of picked it up and I spent loads of hours in there and, and I found myself spending more time on the sim than I was training and it kind of got in the way of things. And this, the sim stuff is interesting because a lot of like, big name drivers, drivers that are super successful in motorsport are also quite successful on the sim racing. But then there's other drivers that are very successful and suck at sim racing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm definitely one of those people that can't jump on a sim. You're not the good. only one. I'm not yeah. very We've good. interviewed so many drivers. They're like, we hate yeah. this. Because I'm so yeah. competitive, right? It's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. If, I'm, if we're going to suck at it, there's no okay, way. And like you sat in front of a screen and I found it like, when I'm not racing, what can I possibly be doing to better myself in the car? And, Fitness is one of the things I've kind of lent towards. I find it really good for staying like competitive, especially when I'm out of the car. Um, it sort of suits my personality because I mean, most of the guys you'll interview are going to be super competitive because we're in this sport. Um, but yeah, also like the mental training and all that sort of stuff. I think it's it's still pushing me forward in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, and on the sim stuff, I feel like it's a lot of fun. Sometimes I struggle to correlate it back to, to actually helping the racing because at the end of the day, the best thing we're using is our racing. Yeah. Um, and we don't have the access to the technology that F1 has mm -hmm. with, with our super impressive sims. So, so it's kind of, it's one of those. Yeah. And because I'm not good at it, <laughs> I'm not going to like would it. You, would you soon. ever do like a 24 hour online? Lamont? I've been asked, yeah. I've been yeah. asked. Um, no, <laughs> I don't want to, I mean, I, I go, go through in real life, but then I, yeah. I can't imagine doing it. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Would, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather play Call of Duty for yeah. 24 hours. <laughs> it's like all the horrible parts of Le Mans yeah. without any of the rewards. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind so of, true. you know what I mean? The possibility of disconnecting. Yeah, you, imagine, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Waking you up, but this, no one's crashed into you or they could have. But, yeah. but yeah, short answer is no. <laughs> I don't want to scare a screen. I'd wear like blue light blockers or whatever you yeah. have, but um, yeah, no. What about after Le Mans? Like, do you sleep for like 40 hours? Or, yeah. like, so, what does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, when we won it, um it goes by pretty quickly like you lose a couple hours easily with photos of the team and getting your kit together because you find out that there's like you start off with your kit in a garage it's always in that one place by the end of the race there's kit in in the in the hospitality there's kid in the motorhome so you're trying to get it all together and if you say i remember saying to my dad like oh, i'll leave in 10 minutes it ended up being another hour before i found all my stuff and mm. i then left half my kit behind anyway <laughs> um but by the time we get out the traffic the traffic is bad at lemon leaving <laughs> especially that night that all the fans are leaving you know they think they get like hundreds of thousands of fans there by the time i got back to the chateau you know it was still daylight um i remember 
I think I've got a video on my phone of sat at the table and there's a, the winning car trophy, so bigger than the trophies that we get, the big trophy, right in front of me. And I think I ordered like all three meals that were on the <laughs> like, yeah, because I could eat what I wanted what, at that yeah. point. Yeah, and yeah, my yeah. diet's I'm quite strict for myself to make sure I don't put on too much weight, but I had whatever I wanted, had a beer, and then I just like, I was out of it. Like I, there was no celebrations that night. Yeah. I went straight to bed and I think I slept for 12 hours. Wow. Um, I think it's it's even more like draining when you win because you have that rush of emotion. And then of course, as soon as you come off that, it's, yeah. it's pretty rough. Um, and last year too, like you just kind of come back and kind of collapse. And then I came back to England and saw my friends up until 12 o'clock when everything <laughs> closes because it was COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. You I can't... saw the BBC interview you did it as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I did that, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah it was. My friends would like downstairs at home. I think well, I had friends over basically the whole week then. Oh, like, we would like celebrating like family friends rather mm. than friends friends, I think. Yeah, and I think it was also delayed that year. It was in September. Mm-hmm. It was actually oh, wow. my sister's birthday. On the day which, of? Yeah, she hates me for. Because oh, I think no. both my parents forgot to wish her happy birthday oh, that day. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, they were just sending her messages. Did you see what Phil did? Um, but yeah, because so, it was delayed because they were trying to see if they were able to open up to fans. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually learned last year that Le Mans is held on the 24th weekend of the year, which kind of makes sense as the 24 hour race. Oh, That's why it's in June. Oh. I mean, I probably should have known that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, said, yeah. I said to lots of people as if I've known for years. <laughs> yeah. The reality is I only learned it last year. Damn. Now, our audience is probably more like single-seater oriented. Now, in single-seaters, your teammate is like labeled as your teammate, but it's, it's like your biggest rival. Yeah. But in like endurance racing, it's you have to work as a team to you do something. Yeah, something. exactly. So, so you, how does that dynamic work for you? Um, it's a funny one because you do still have that competitive nature because you're in the same car. So he's your first point of reference. Mm. Um, so if one of you is not performing, it's going to be noticed because the other person is naturally exploiting you because, you know, he's performing to whatever the car is capable of. Um, so you have that element. But at the same time, you need to work together because if he's a weak link or if I'm a weak link, we're both going to get the same result. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you have to work together. I think at this level, it's it's not like we're going to sit through data and look at data together, but making sure that we're comfortable in the right mind, we're not doing anything to irritate each other throughout the weekend. And you kind of kind of bond a bit more. So you, you end up building a quite a good relationship. Um, I've been racing with Felipe Albuquerque now for the last, I don't know how many years, four or five years. So we, we have a really good relationship and rapport. Other drivers tend to change obviously in lmp2 you need a silver yeah. i was once that silver many years ago um, and now the silver's kind of changed so it's getting used to how to bring on them work with them a bit like mm-hmm. felipe did with me when i was younger yeah. and you do end up building a relationship um, and quite often the drivers stay in that community so that community of friends that you have builds and i think that's why people say that in endurance racing typically you're friends with a lot of other drivers and other teams yeah. but i think that's also from a habit of having had teammates in other Keep teams, moving, yeah. um, having moved on to other teams and stuff like that. For example, Felipe races in, in America mm. and his teammate will race against us in, in WEC or, or whatever. Mm. So he ends up having a good relationship amongst those people. So it's 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 a lot more lighthearted than I imagine you'd get in single-seaters. What about um, drivers that are going from single-seaters to WEC? Yeah. Is there an element of struggle or do they like 
I think there's an element of, I mean, I, I don't want to cut anyone short because I, I get on really well with yeah. a lot of the guys. Um, but I think there's definitely an element of like different personalities. I don't want to say they're more arrogant, but yeah. there's definitely come, they've come from that single seater dream, the F1 dream. Comes with the job. Right? Yeah, exactly. And it definitely takes them a, like a, a little time to adjust to how things are kind of different. That teammate nature you speak of is, is very different. And I think that's, that's something that people adjust from. I actually haven't shared a car with someone that made that adjustment straight away because Paul, I guess, was the last person to to do that, and he was still racing DTM, so he was always kind of had a foot in the in the door of in the endurance side or at least the sports car side. Um, Lando. Yeah, Lando, but Lando was just that one race, and um, and I was well with that outside my depth because Lando had been, you know, he was testing an f2 at that point yeah. fernando was two-time world champion and it was my first race in lp2 cool. with united how um, was that experience yeah <laughs> yeah that was that was that was crazy but my memory of that weekend sadly was like limitations with the car and struggling with performance um rather than like actually like necessarily bonding with any of them i, mm -hmm. I got on fine with both of them they're, they're great guys but um but yeah it wasn't something i mean my biggest memory is just Fernando's debriefs <laughs> and we were struggling with this one like problem of like entry instability like normal stuff when the car's not really connected and it's not working like entry instability mid corner on the steer exit oversteer and that was like uh, one of the things we struggled with. it was also difficult for the team because it was the first year we'd race at Daytona and you need a lot of experience to really go into Daytona and win it um, and obviously the, the pressure was on because we had this really strong lineup and and the media spotlight was on us um, so it wasn't easy and like I said it was the first race I was doing with United at that point um, it's early in the year they were thinking it was a new Le Mans kit for that leisure that we were racing so that had been hadn't been tested so we were trying to learn yeah. uh, we just we were on the back foot basically um, but yeah I think catchphrase was undrivable <laughs> 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 in his nice Spanish accent I'm not going to try and yeah. impersonate that but I think one time we drove from the track around to do a media thing and i i let my imitation of him slip in the car oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no undrivable but it went down well it went down well but yeah those are my memories from it and um, is is there a driver whether they're retired or you know they're still in current in the grid whether it's an endurance or even an f1 that you look up to or take advice from currently right now I guess the the closest thing to that would be Felipe, yeah. um, because I spent so much time with him and I can like fully trust him. But there's there's drivers I managed to work with drivers of, of like a very high caliber, just from the nature of the mm. sport and the fact that the team I race for tends to have very keen interest from top drivers. Mm. Um, so anyone from like Felipe to Paul to you know Bruno Senna raced um, with me for a couple of races and also raced in the sister car when we did Daytona. Um, so I've actually managed to race with people that a lot of people might have on that list. So I don't necessarily have a list like that. Um, also, as I find myself now at a similar level um, and pushing a lot of these guys, I'd like to think that, um, yeah, it hopefully one day will be me. Um, Mentoring others. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, no, no, no list as of yet. I think that's probably because I was exposed to these these great drivers yeah. when I was younger. I think if you asked me that when I was at Daytona, yeah. I would have said like but, Fernando, Fernando yeah. or whatever. And then in terms of, and this might be a stupid question, but how do you guys pick like who goes in the car first and like what the rotation looks like? Is that something that's decided upon like months before based on some sort of test or training camp or something? So it's, so 
at least with with our team, it's normally performance based. Right. So it's whatever they're thinking, uh, but it's not always performance based. So you're more likely to get the safety cars at the start of the race. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you start the weaker driver with the slower driver. Typically, that's the case. Mm -hmm. But other times you might start a pro or or you know me or Felipe might start because we we might have more experience. It might be the first race of the year. It might be a longer endurance race where you're expecting less safety cars or the safety car to have less impact on that race. Mm -hmm. So therefore you go with the safer option. I guess you can call it a safer option starting Mio Felipe. Um, the, you know, the year when we won, I didn't start any race in WEC. Mm -hmm. The year we won ELMS the same year, yeah. I started every race in ELMS. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of fluctuates. Last year we had a mix between Felipe and our silver there, Will, he started. Um, and yeah, but you know, anything can go wrong. Like if you look at Do you prefer certain, year. like do you prefer starting? Starting's or? great. Yeah. Starting's right. also great for all the averages and data because it's yeah. like, especially now the cars are so slow, it's like 20 laps clear. Yeah. Um, so, and normally obviously an endurance race in the traffic has a big impact. Oh, yeah. um, so starting is great. Starting and finishing. I think the middle stint is normally the, the heavy lifting mm -hmm. and not much reward. Um, but the, the cool thing about it is now with all the data that we have, you can kind of singularity, like you can you can basically filter out all the variables and see what you were like lap on lap on lap against people on track at the same time as you with the same traffic scenarios as you. You can also, you know, the other thing is if someone's five seconds ahead, you could be catching that car at the wrong point every lap. Yeah, right. Um, he might have a similar story in his car, but yeah. sometimes from your point of view, it's he's getting it much easier and stuff like that. I had this in, in Fuji actually, like if, if I was catching traffic, two seconds ahead, I would have just cleared them before the third sector. And because I wasn't able to, it meant that, that I was having to defend throughout the whole third sector, because as soon as you defend one, you have to defend the subsequent three or four, five corners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you have this, it always goes around. You have these stories from everyone. Everyone likes to complain about traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any engineer will be a testament to that. Yeah. yeah. Talking about your team, we, we pointed, talked about your team, obviously. Your team owner, Cone, I should say, is Zach Brown. Obviously, our viewers probably are familiar with him. What's he like in, on a day-to-day -day basis? Are I mean, like... we don't see him that often. It's actually surprising how many races he does come um, to, um, as well as doing some historic stuff, I know, of, with the team. You know, he races in uh, Laguna or wherever the other historic events are. I'm not that familiar with it, so. Um, but, yeah, really nice guy. Um, works well with Richard. Richard Dean's the other, the other co-owner. Richard's much more, much more hands-on with the team. Um, so I see much more of Richard than I do of Zach. But yeah, super, super nice guy. Very, very charismatic. Like the, you get the same personality that you do kind of across the F1, but I guess it's that little bit pressure released, you know, off him when he comes to sort of our races because he's there as like a co-owner and he's less like managerially involved. Mm. Um, so he's kind of enjoying it, but the guy works pretty hard like he's always got meetings he's always on his phone i think anyone at this at this level even richard they're, they're flat out with with meetings and so even when he's at the track we might not see him very often he might not be in the garage for f1 f2 f3 he might not even be in the garage for most of the race just because he's got tons of business calls mm -hmm. um but yeah he's super nice i mean everyone in that environment is very nice i think it's that's one of the things i think you you need to rely on in in, in racing is it's a really good network of people in, inside the teams because it is predominantly a team sport. And I think that's something you get more of a gist of in, in endurance racing because the fact that 
we're doing 30 something pit stops at Le Mans and you know it's a lot of work for these guys and in F1 I think it sometimes gets brushed under the carpet how many you know how much commitment these guys actually have like even yep. time away from the 23 week race weekends a year like it's a lot long time away for for these guys oh yeah what about the car collection of Zach back, back at the yeah and that's too. cool that's cool mm. so every time I go up there there's a new car or there's a car I haven't really? seen before or there's a car I haven't seen in that state oh. because it's getting rebuilt right. um, and kind of as you come into the factory it's like in your face yeah. which is great I mean not as you enter but as you go into the workshop so where, where I would be is there one car that is like your favorite from his collection I've sat in a few of them oh. I can't lie um, I, I the last time I was there I think I sat in I'm gonna get it wrong I think it was Mika Hakkinen's McLaren no way. he's got he's got a lot he's got obviously he's got Senna's Marlboro yeah. um, I think it might even be the Monica race winning I'm not 100% sure so don't oh. don't hold me to that yeah. but that I mean that's obviously that's the that's car iconic. that is the F1 yeah. car that everyone yeah. knows right yeah. yeah Um. so there's that it's even Senna's go-kart there there's like wow. a bunch of bunch of um. you know like there's I think there's a, a, a Porsche nine something something yeah. um, <laughs> uh, and you know there's the canon cars he's got rally cars he's got everything um and then because they're being driven and because he races them as well you see them in states you've never seen before like some of the indie cars he has like andretti indie cars um that's unbelievable to see they like look like really long distorted f1 cars and wow. you talk to some of the guys working the historic stuff and um you know about the uh the ethanol fuel that they have to use in that it's like <laughs> if you leave any part of it it starts corroding the car like all these like things you just wouldn't 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 consider but yeah that's really cool um also means you have something to like distract you when you're up there doing a seat yeah. fit and yeah. your teammates taking ages right. just walk around <laughs> ask politely if you can sit in some cars yeah. <laughs> have you and i'm curious about this because obviously you went into endurance at such a young age did you ever have that goal of f1 like did you ever want to go through the formula categories i mean when i was young and go-karting yeah like the f1 dream was like ripened throughout yeah. everyone yeah. in the field everyone just thinks they're going to f1 yeah but i actually never got given the opportunity because we were kind of wrongly guided early on in my career mm -hmm. um it was a happy mistake because I actually found myself in this position now, which I'm super fortunate to be in um, with endurance racing being like in the next couple of years, the biggest it's ever been, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, you know, with a handful of manufacturers, I think up to 10 manufacturers coming in all with two cars, lots of money pouring back in the most opportunities ever for any driver, but also the most interest ever for all these drivers coming from IndyCar and F2 and endurance LMP2, all these guys. Yeah. So I'm happy to have been where I am. I think maybe my development might have been a bit quicker and easier if I'd gone down the single-seater route. Mm. Um, but you can get so sucked into that world. And from what I hear from people that have been there and done that and got to F2 and had sort of contracts on the table for F1 and the money that's involved and all the politics, oh, yeah. it's, it's off-putting, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and there's enough politics as, I own, uh, as it goes in most sport, and mm. I don't think I would want exposure <laughs> to any more, more yeah. than I already have. And, and I'm fortunate enough that staying with one team for a lot of the time i've avoided a lot of this stuff yeah. yep great final right. question of uh, q1 what are your kind of objectives from a kind of 2023 standpoint <laughs> to, yeah. win. to win to <laughs> win yeah. honestly it, it yeah. sounds sort of silly and potentially arrogant to say but no. um having won le mans i have absolutely no interest in finishing second or third 
That's like it. it just seems like such an insult to stand there with a slightly small trophy and yeah. being beaten by someone yeah. especially when i know exactly what it takes to win mm-hmm. Le Mans. and for the last couple of years i felt we've had all the ingredients mm-hmm. we've had a fast enough car we've had a good driver on up the team hasn't made any mistakes we've had a couple small mechanicals but a lot of it wasn't down once the forensic analysis was done <laughs> yeah. basically yeah. from these teams yeah. to figure out um what the cause was it wasn't stuff that we could really avoid it was like um failures of things that weren't even you know that were new they'd passed their sort of mortality rate um uh you know you know because you can put a new part on it can fail straight away so we put a new part on do a little bit of mileage get comfortable with it take it back off then put it back on for the race yeah. and it was stuff like that that would that would fail and we've got you know the team have got super in-depth procedures now to make sure that these things don't happen again and we're not seeing repeat things happen mm-hmm. we're seeing you know, slight changes, slight variations happen, and we're getting close. I think, well, I'm, I mean, winning this year is basically the only goal in in everything. Love it. Bold. Absolutely love it. Well, that was Q1. Henny, verdict? That was a good green sector. Green sector? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Effie, what, what do you think? Yeah. What does it take <laughs> to be purple? I mean, I'm a tough judge. But it's fine. We'll see if you try to get a purple in Q2, right. but we'll stay tuned, guys, for Q2 coming up. Welcome back, guys, to the Track Limits podcast. We're here with Phil Hansen. We're getting into Q2 now. So Q2, we're going to dive a little bit into you as a person. Ready to go? Yeah. Purple, come on. I'm feeling it. Yeah. (laughs) So let's take you back a little bit. I want to know a bit more about the origin story in terms of, let's even talk about your family. Did they encourage you into racing? Was it something you always wanted to do growing up? Like, when did you kind of catch that bug? Um, I I think it was just, like most people, like go-karting. on holiday in Spain, I think it was the first time I went go-karting as a kid. Um, no one in my family actually had done it or like done it to like a, a level. Um, I mean, pretty much done it at all. Um, I, I think my dad's a good driver on the road, but most of our arguments come from driving, to be honest. <laughs> he hates my driving, yeah. I hate his driving, vice versa. I'm a really bad passenger, so. Um, but yeah, karting, um, when I was in Spain, sort of on holiday but then I actually started quite late I started when I was sort of 13 mm. um predominantly because I was trying to pick up other sports at the same time like still you know football the basic sports that you get in England um and then just delays through trying to find a, a go-kart team making that step between sort of your pay and play places that people normally start at there was like a, a race every last Sunday of the month there Mm-hmm. And I started to get better and better and better and started to win some races, but then started to get hit off and there wasn't like any licensing or any like stewards or any of that sort of stuff. And then as you make a step into like the world of go-karting, the racing, um, I mean, that's like a, a whole thing in itself, yeah. really. Um, there you have, you know, you have race licenses, you have stewards, you have clerk of the course, you have marshals, you have all that sort of stuff. And then sort of professional teams running these these operations and you have a mechanic and you start to understand that that's when the racing really started for me. Mm. Um, but there was a long time between sort of having the interest and actually then racing and getting a license and all that, all that stuff. And I, I was in racing in the UK. I never raced in Europe, um, apart from a couple of times in the World Championship in, in X30. Um, but I had no success there. I think I in the junior stuff, there, I think I had one bad heat and didn't make the cut for the final. And then I think came second in the B final, but there was no progression. So like me and the, the top two were like fast and everyone <laughs> yeah. in the final <laughs> equal lap times, but we couldn't, I think that was in the following year. Yeah. They, they had that 
progression by that time i was in the seniors and again i think that engine exploded in one race and then you're just nowhere um but yeah i was able to win super one in the uk which was the british championship in quite an easy year i'm not gonna lie um in case someone was to go back and look there weren't many people taking part but better than that than finishing second in that year to be honest right so i won it um and then we just made a step to, to cars really and like i said guided like wrongly in the first few years but it was it all ultimately worked out hmm. and then in terms of you know traveling i'm guessing that's a big part of your life obviously yeah, yeah. how do you deal with that like i just started traveling like solo when i was young when i was sort of 16 because i started car racing at the right age i mean now it's getting even younger oh, but at that yeah. point very young like 16 17 um traveling on my own traveling with the team um I was quite, it, it matured me a lot, to be honest, especially the go-karting. Mm. Um, most sports tend to sort of invoke discipline and stuff to people, but racing, especially being around people that are older than you, having different characters, learning how to deal with different people, that really matured me yeah. a lot quicker than, than I think just normal day-to-day -day life. Um, the fact that I was able to sacrifice um, what for me was a lot, which was like parties and friends' birthdays and that sort of stuff. And and then sacrifice the drinking culture and all that sort of stuff. Um, that, yeah, part played a role with discipline and probably played a role with why fitness is such a big part of my life now. Um, and the traveling, like, obviously, a lot of these races are abroad. All of them are abroad, actually. We don't have a race in the UK. Um, and a lot of people actually ask me, like, oh, you get to see, like, the world. It's like, no, I get to see every airport, yeah. <laughs> every hotel next yeah, to the yeah. racetrack and every racetrack. Yeah. Um, from, apart from when we race in Japan, because the time difference is a 14 hour flight, you're not often going to go to Japan. You, we don't test in Japan. Yeah. Um, I normally make a trip of that because I find Tokyo pretty sick. And I mean, yeah, if you're out there, I try and extend for a couple of days. And sometimes I come back the other way around the globe. Oh, my really? sister lives in LA, so wow. I can go that way around. I have an excuse at least because yeah. I can't really say to like, you know, my family or friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to LA. They were like, what for? Like, oh. you're meant to be preparing for a race. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, just to see my sister. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we usually ask um, this question to a lot of the drivers saying, you know, what is your work-life balance? But the, most of them are like, we don't have one because we're racing all year long. Yeah. What does that look like to you? And how do you mentally prepare when you are during the season or off-season? Well, I mean, even during the season, yeah. like this year, I have four races, four, four weeks in a row. Mm which is quite a lot. But then I also have races, you know, for two weeks off, a summer break, which is like nearly a month long. So you actually have a lot of time off. Mm. And even in between the races you do, which is great when you're winning, yeah. it's really bad when you're losing because you have that week just to think about what your performance is. There's no hiding, like I said, with the data earlier. No. You know if you've had a bad performance and everyone can see it and there's no shying away from it and you kind of feel a bit embarrassed or you've had a great performance, in which case, the success is great and unfortunately that if that if i win a race for example the buzz might stay for a day if i lose that race it's staying until the next race and you gotta hope that race is coming next week because otherwise it's, <laughs> you just you know you're swallowed up by that emotion um but also because of that sort of drive to want to perform one improve even when you're in a race you can see really in-depth data on, on how to how to improve and, and what areas you you kind of were weak on especially throughout the weekend. It may not have been in the race where you're weak, but FP1, FP2, quality, whatever it may be. Um, so there's a lot of time off to look at that. Yeah. Um, that then I sort of partner up with my fitness and stuff to make sure that I'm staying motivated and hungry. Um, I know like a lot of people have different routines. Um, there's no like set one thing. Yeah. For me, like if I have a bad race, 
I'll go home and train. Train really hard. Try and punish me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, if I have a good race, I'll go home and train. Yeah. Because I'm already preparing for the next one. Yeah. Um, so that's like kind of it's become a big part of my life. And even if I wasn't racing for whatever reason and had done something else, I'd like to think it would still be a big part of my my day to day life. Um, but yeah. What about mental fitness? I think you publicly said that you use Headspace, for example. Like I've used a few things yeah. like that. Um, yeah. And I found like at a certain point, you need to figure out for yourself. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few sports psychologists in the past too. Yeah. I found that really interesting. Again, there's that sort of dependency that sometimes you 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 kind of kind of grow into, and that part worries me a bit. So I took a step back from it and figured out how to do it myself. Not that I haven't ever had an issue with that. Actually, it was just an area where I thought I haven't looked at this. It could be a performance game potentially down the line. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not tangible, but you never know what's going on in your head. Ultimately, motorsport is is a skill sport with a fitness element. Um, the mental side of it, I think. I'm best at by putting myself into mental challenging situations. Mm. So um, even something as simple as like cold water immersion, ice bath, things like this, super good for your mental health. Mm. Um, tough training, like voluntary um, voluntary punishment, like you know punish yourself yep. after a bad race. Like <laughs> yeah, that's 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 where the mental yeah. that's where the mental strength really comes. Um, and I, but again, it's, it's something different for everyone. Yeah. It works for me might not work for you and definitely doesn't work for some of my friends yeah i mean we did a baltic sea cold crazy. plunge in yeah. Finland, in Finland. And yeah that was fantastic yeah that was crazy week. right yeah. we came out and our friend was finished and we were like it's not cold enough yeah <laughs> we're like yeah, yeah. get it colder because <laughs> in toronto we go to like ice bats a lot and they make those like like freeze yeah, yeah. yeah. Something. it's amazing what like mind never body can do yeah because when you get in you're like body goes into shock oh yeah you just think about getting out and, yeah once you relax, it's actually not so bad. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I say that the first yeah. 20 times. That's awesome. Yeah. And then when it came to specifically, you know, dealing with failure and like feeling those moments where maybe you got out of the car and you were like, oh my God, I failed at my job. Right. Yeah. I think every yeah. professional can relate to that. Yeah. How do you bounce back in a sense of like, yeah, you said you, you train harder, but like, do you ever feel like you also let your emotions get the best of you or have you kind of toned that down in as you've gotten older? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all part of the learning process. And I've got really good people behind me that believe in me, believe in, in what I'm doing and, and can kind of help me with that side of things. So like my dad's been instrumental in my career and like supporting me both financially and like off season mentally applying all the right advice with the right amount of knowledge of racing, which is very little. <laughs> because if you know someone who, you know, grew up in a family of racing, you end up just talking about racing the whole time. The fact that my dad didn't and looks at it from the outside and now obviously understands a lot about it, but still likes to have this kind of naive view on things makes him look at it from a perspective that I really appreciate because he's so disconnected from it at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that as well as having like a really good group of friends, um, I know a lot of drivers um, have like motorsport mates. So do I. Yeah. But to be honest, most of the time I spend away from the racetrack, I don't really talk to them. I have like a friendship group that's completely non-motorsport related. And I find that balance really key for like my, like you said, my mental health bouncing yeah. back after a bad weekend, not to see them. And they, they, most of them would be like, how was the race? I'll be like, good great cool what should we watch yeah, yeah. what should we go what, what, what do you want to do yeah like, they're not really going to ask those questions and i find that super key like i would be really overwhelmed if like my whole 
circle revolved around racing when I mean, a lot of people can manage that but yeah. for me personally that'd be a big no talking about like bad results bad races i want to talk about like the the, the crashes yeah um so i have a funny story of me this is weird swag segue but i have a funny story of me just falling out from a boat and even though it's like a few seconds it felt like a few minutes yeah so does it does it also feel like that Do, definitely like, what goes through it goes into mind? slow motion yeah. that's yeah. definitely like i haven't had Touchwood. I haven't actually had that many big crashes, mm -hmm. but when it does happen, it either feels really fast or really slow. Wow. I think the moment they're like, oh, I, mean, I can't really swear, but oh no, you're like, there, yeah. like, oh yeah. fuck yeah. moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's like um that takes that's like a long kind of like you just feel your body clenching up yeah. and like you're waiting for the impact. Um, but then once you hit whatever, it all then happens really fast. At least that was my experience. Um, I wrote a car off in thailand for the furthest place to write a car, off. <laughs> yeah. a car on a test day once in 2017 i think and yeah just that corner's flat sure okay um didn't repair the corner enough ran wide loads of runoff mm. i was like just stay flat and come back on the track so i did that as i came back on i bottomed and i lost the car Ooh. coming back on the track flat out yeah and i just like skipped and just yeah the car basically snapped on me and then when it gripped up, I was now facing like the inside of the track, which it never has like tires. Oh no! And like I was fine, the car was destroyed. But like I, but luckily it was the perfect way to go, and it was like front left, rear left, and just spun around. Oh, it no. just destroyed all the corners. The most expensive way to crash, yeah. but the best way to crash yeah. because you're just losing energy. Yeah. But in that moment, with my like arms crossed, like locked up, now looking <laughs> left, and I was meant to be looking right, like the track's going that way, but now the car's this way. Um, that moment was like slow motion because I'm like, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. um, bracing but it. then as soon as I made contact with the wall, yeah. it yeah. all spun over. Yeah. yeah, there's like a viral clip I think going on right now. I forgot which motorsport it is, but there's like two drivers in the front and they're, they're they, they get off the road and crash, but they're having like a full on conversation. Oh, yeah. I see the rally, the rally, yeah, yeah, the rally. Yeah, 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 yeah. full on. Full on, and yeah. they're just casual. They're like, "Oh man, we missed that." Yeah, did you did? Yeah. I think there's also like a rally clip of like a like an Indian rally. Oh, like, that know. was so funny. Yeah. It's like I can't remember his name, like, like Benji or something. Not, you're, like, yeah. you're not turning. You know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, just you're missing all left. the corners. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And is there like another position if you were in a racing team, like, but you know, besides being a driver, is there another position you think you'd do well at? To be honest, I never really thought about it. Right. It makes me anxious to think yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure because also, like, I see what the team have to put up with, and I just think it's, you know, I mean, I try and be as easy as I can, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not a princess anyway. But um, but there's so many issues. You you know, even like working with the organizers sometimes can be very difficult. Yeah, all of that doesn't appeal to me because I see the worst of it all the time. Um, yeah, I've got full respect for people that can do things that I can hand on heart say I don't have the, the qualities and skill level to do, whether that's engineering and, you know, the super smart guys there or people that are incredibly patient on the managerial side that can work with these issues that seem so binarily obvious mm -hmm. and they're having to deal with people that just won't see it in the same mm -hmm. light. Um, maybe driver management is the only thing you can kind of get to, but I mean, what am I going to talk about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think 2020 Le Mans, you winning was your I made it moment or are you still waiting for it? 
Um, no, I don't think it was. Um, I think there's been a few like I've made it moments. Yeah. But there've been small successes, not and not always when we've won. Mm. Times when I've really performed well have been when we haven't won. Yeah. Um, there've been super strong races of mine that I've thought like, yeah, that's that's a good performance. Like today you did well. Um, but sometimes it doesn't always result to victory. I'm still waiting for that. And I think the last couple of years, I've hoped for that. Yeah. Um, but we haven't managed to tie up the, you know, not this last season, the 2021 season. Mm. We were leading before Le Mans. I was performing great. The car was great. Everything was fine. We had an issue with Le Mans, off points. Didn't really recover through the rest of the season with points. Was still in the hunt for it, but we weren't strong enough in the last two rounds. And we just ended up finishing fourth, I think. Um, had that have gone differently, that might have been that year. Mm. Last year, we had everything that could have possibly gone wrong, went wrong in that year. We had, I made mistakes. My teammate made mistakes. Um, we had a slow car at some races. We had a reliability issue at some races. We got hit off in some races. And normally that happens once. We had all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think we finished like seventh or eleventh or something. Yeah. As soon as like again, like as soon as you're far enough down, yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't, really don't really care. Yeah. But at a certain point, we were like looking at the data and we're like, we've led nearly all the laps most of the laps this year um because a lot of the times when we'd have these horrible results we were leading half or more of the race um so again like really strong performances but if you're just looking at result, the results yeah. table they weren't there so big push this year I well think. we're gonna manifest it for you yeah hopefully. <laughs> what, what about any rituals oh, oh you know what i had some really weird ones oh, like, oh, that's like are you talking like um like pre-race rituals yeah. or like any uh, i know like some drivers only jump in the car from like superstitions yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah i had like a bunch of weird ones really? but like things that didn't make sense out of okay. it. it's embarrassing for me to say no, like i wouldn't want to refuel my car in before the race so i would sometimes <laughs> turn up to the race i wouldn't really tell anyone this i wouldn't even tell my teammates who are like relying on me as a journey into yeah. the car in the high car i wouldn't refuel that we'd like turn up and like nearly run out of fuel <laughs> and we actually ran out of fuel at Le Mans and we had to fill up the hire car with race fuel yeah, <laughs> to yeah. get back because I didn't want to fuel it I don't know why in my mind I, if I fuel it we're gonna finish second or third or worse oh my god and then <laughs> obviously it doesn't make any sense yeah. and I don't know why I convinced myself of this and I'm not normally that um superstitious yeah. and then obviously I was like well I think we're going to win this weekend. And I was like, I'll just refuel it and see what happens. <laughs> and then we did. We won. This was like a couple of years ago. Hey. And we won uh, the last round of ELMS. And we were really strong all weekend. And I was like, well, that's the superstition. It was so silly. Like, yeah. who would think that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically since then, any superstition I had, I've gone out my way to break, wait on a good result. Because there were some really weird ones. Like, I mean, that's like just yeah illogical right yeah um but like getting in the car i always jump getting in the car i want to do something just to like mm -hmm. yeah. get my heart be beating i worry about just like, like some people worry about adrenaline dumps like when your adrenaline's too high and you dump in the car i worry about not getting my adrenaline up and up there yet mm -hmm. um so i always jump getting before getting in the car um i don't know why i do it just like jumping sometimes i forget just... just jump like as high as i can oh, few wow. few jumps yeah. until i feel good but what like that happens not as a form of warming up because I've already done that. Yeah, yeah. But like just before I get in the car. So helmet, hands yeah, of ice, yeah. seat insert, whatever, gloves on. Um, always makes for a cool photo if the, oh, yeah. if the cameraman sees <laughs> yeah. it because I'm just in the air and everyone else is still <laughs> on the ground. Um, but yeah, that's something I would, I guess I would do, but not religiously because 
trying to get a grip after that whole fueling incident. <laughs> I remember seeing that like on your stories, like you pulled the whole like the rental car into the yeah, in, like, yeah into I the think paddock. it was the year I've, I I was there. I was like, how, how, yeah, how, we how had to drive it like down to the paddock and like right up to the garage. Luckily, we were in one of the first garages, so we had our own entrance. Um, and we just stopped it and luckily we called the guys and there were some guys still there and <laughs> yeah, it didn't explode on the way home. So it was good. And what do you feel like you're as competitive about outside of racing? Like, is there everything. anything that everything, everything chess? I mean, I, yeah. I find like I'm a quietly competitive, Okay. but like my people, my friends that know me really well can like tell. Yeah. Like I'm just competitive about the really silly things. Cool. Um, Call of Duty, is it maybe? cool though? Yeah. Or is no, it really not. Cool. I mean, like, I like that. Yeah, to be I think fair. everyone <laughs> has that. Yeah, like, we're, uh, but but we're also, really... I'm I'm realistic. Like, if it's something I'm bad at, mm. I'll be humbled by it. If I'm seeing improvement, great. If I'm not seeing improvement, and my ego's hurting, yeah. <laughs> there's like, a point where I'm quitting, out. right? <laughs> what, about, I mean? what about backgammon? Backgammon, yeah, I'm really, I mean, I'm competitive. Any like game like that, yeah. yeah. But I'm not gonna cry about it if I lose. Yeah. But I'm just gonna keep a mental note that I lost, and then if we if I beat you on three other <laughs> yeah. occasions, yeah. Three yeah. Other yeah. occasions yeah. I'll just be like, okay, it doesn't matter. I've lost yeah. this one time because ultimately yeah. this year I've come out. <laughs> <Yeah. and lost. laughs> oh but I'm not gonna tell you that, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that's like it's completely psychopath. Diary. Yeah. Or like oh, like Sudoku, you know Sudoku. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I do this past the time, and I was playing with. I remember playing. I was really embarrassed playing with my friend's sister. And we were meant to be doing it together, and I hadn't realized we were meant to be doing it together. And I was like, "Well, don't help." Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I was like, well how, do, how do you then know how quickly I've done it? If you help, it's unfair." Yeah. And she was like, "Oh, like you want it as a competition?" I was like, "Well, how else are we going like, to do this?" Yeah, nice to do, to do, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. I love that. And what are some of your kind of hobbies outside of work? Like, what do you generally do if it's not racing? Like, you know, tennis um, or another sport or yeah, hiking? Like in this off season, like. Yeah. Um, especially when I like can attribute it to fitness and stuff. Like I picked up cross country skiing. That's something that was humbling, like really humbling because I went to Norway and they have some of the best cross country skiers there. Mm-hmm. And I had some guides that were, one of them told me, you know, he was in the top three in the junior stuff. When he went to the senior stuff, he's competing against in the Norwegian cups and stuff um, against Olympians. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you're struggling to get into the top 50. I'm like, yeah, well, the top 50 are the mm-hmm. top guys at the Olympic and it's all quite tight. Like, the thing if, if you're the best norwegian cross-country skier you're going to be in the top five in the world pretty much given the the level that's out there and we're doing some very challenging routes long climbs we're out there for three hours a day and and i'm like this is a fitness camp for me so it's like i've never done like endurance work quite like this at this intensity with these muscle groups that are working and it's also nice to be out in the cold and have the great scenery and like look good on Instagram. And all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> um, but then it was humbling when he was like, yeah, no, this is great tempo. Like, it's really good for me. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, mm-hmm. I'm an athlete. And he's like, yeah, it's a really good recovery ride for me. Yeah. Oh, so it's a really, it's a really good recovery session for me. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, Are and the mad? guy was super humble and low key. It's like, yeah, no, it's a really good tempo. Like the perfect recovery. <laughs> And I'm there, like, <laughs> dead. Yeah, yeah. Just destroyed. Like, and he's like, no, like, your form's good. It's like, good. You just called it a recovery. Like, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, humbling. Um, but I could see improvement and and the fitness was, was really useful and, and great. Um, but yeah, like, they're very, very fit. Yeah. Out there. I can already see you writing your diary. Next yeah, year, I'll yeah, come exactly. back. Next year, I'll come back. Same, same route. <laughs> I'm going to improve by like 10 yeah. minutes. He still calls it a recovery. recovery like, yeah. Or like, um, actually, before I was in Austria doing cross-country yeah. skiing, but this was when I was on a family holiday, and I had a, a, an instructor, a guide, who was in the World Cup, 
she was a woman. And we did this route and it was like an 80K route. And there's quite a few climbs, especially the last like one or two K is like basically just to climb. Yeah. And I'm like, how fast have you done this? Because <laughs> the day after I was Here like, go. I'm going to yeah. smash that time. <laughs> and she's like super efficient, actually quite short, which is like kind of rare for a cross country ski. But like when she glides, like she's like so efficient on there, like taking an extra step every yeah. three steps just because I, and she's like one hour, 18 minutes. And I'm there and I'm like, I did it like one hour. I think she said one hour 14 and I did a one hour 22. And I was yeah. like, I could have done a 120. Mm. I would just told myself. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, and I believe that I told myself, I believe I was like, we're having lunch with that. I'm telling him this as well. Yeah. The poor guys having to listen to me justify. <laughs> He's like, and I believe that, um, that the men and women times are pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's like, what are they? And I'm like, well, I don't know. What should we use? He's like, why don't you look at the Olympics? He obviously actually didn't know. He was yeah. just it's like, so I looked at the Olympics and the men's 50K sprint. Mm was faster than the women's 30k sprint so me oh, telling myself that i was <laughs> basically the same <laughs> see that's a massive genetic you know gender difference so i should have been way quicker compared if it was a guy like again recovery pace yeah well i love that i think that wraps up q2 henny verdict here Okay, what should we give them? Recovery case? Give them give the purple one. Purple? Yeah, purple? Purple. Nice. There, we go. There, there, we purple. Go. Yeah. there we go. I'll send you my invoice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Please do. All right. Well, stay tuned. We're coming back for the rapid fire round. Welcome back to the Track Limits podcast. We are now getting into Q3, the rapid fire round. Ooh. Very much looking forward to this. We'll see if we can get another purple here. Yeah. Yeah, you got to end it up with a purple. Yeah, you got to, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, here Coach we go. On. <laughs> First question, Phil, if you had to choose one track to race on forever, which one would it be? Spa. Ah, yes. Let's go. Let's go. Love that track. That's <laughs> what's one of our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if you had to choose one format to race uh, forever, what would it be? What do you mean like format? Like what? Like uh, endurance? Endurance. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. You get so bored yeah. of like <laughs> endurance. You can pass so many more cars. Yeah. So many more things can happen. There you go. Um, where would you want to race if you had the other racetrack somewhere? Uh, so as well as Spa, so add, adding on to it. Or, oh, you mean? Oh, you mean like on, like on the calendar? Yeah. Ooh. Not not like an ex existing one, like just like a yeah, build a racetrack, racetrack yeah. somewhere. Add, add mm. somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. So you know, somewhere in Scandinavia or somewhere like that, somewhere cold. I feel like we don't race in many cold locations. Oh, I don't know. Uh, you're gonna need your phone for this one. Okay, my phone's over there actually. Oh no. Oh. All right, uh, yeah. Let's... Could we grab it quickly? Yeah. yeah. It's behind you. Yeah. Sorry about that. No <laughs> worries. There we are. <laughs> Cameo. <laughs> what do I need for Who was the last person you texted? Um my my girl mate. Hello. Uh, lovely. Shout okay. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm about to show you a photo. Yeah. Uh, this is you guys winning last year. What was going through your mind? Or oh, not last year, sorry, twenty twenty. Yeah. There you are. You guys on the podium. Oh, honestly, the mask situation. That yeah. point. No, no. You know what actually was going through my mind? Yeah. I'm holding my, my trophy up with two hands. My teammates are holding it up with one hand. It's yeah. light enough to hold up with one hand. The photo is going to look weird. Yeah. That was going through my mind. I swear to God. And then, you know what they did? I went to one hand. They went to two. Oh. And it's funny. I genuinely, that's what was going through my head. And then it was Zach going, 
um, you know, there's only three bottles up here, motherfucker. That yeah. one's mine. <laughs> yeah, and then there's another photo later on of three of us, three massive like double magnum champagne bottles, and him just in the corner. Like, <laughs> we're so we're yeah. so putting that on. Yeah, that. definitely. What regulation change would you add? Mm. Bring it back to 2020 when it was way faster. Honestly, we're like five seconds slower. Wow. Yeah, no one wants that. No. Honestly, I mean, I understand why I'm behind the changes for hypercar, but yeah. I don't want to be going slower. Fair enough. Which driver would you trust to drive you around a track blindfolded? Like they're blindfolded. I mean, you... <laughs> Felipe. Okay. okay. But he, we nearly die every time we go to the track. Like, the guy's a <laughs> lunatic. We nearly rolled once in a higher car lap at Barcelona. We, he thought he could take the sausages, you know, like the oh, big God. ones. Yeah. Like the Porsche Cup do. And we just car nearly rolled over. But his instinct wasn't to like correct. His instinct was to hold it on two wheels for a bit longer. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, it would happen all very fast. But yeah, him. Although it sounds a bit backward. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest driver of all time. Uh, I think there's a great in every generation. I don't want to say there's one because everyone gets beaten at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, Senna to Schumacher, Schumacher to whoever, you know, Alonso was the great. And then Hamilton came in, Hamilton came in and Max came in. So yeah. there's a there's a great in every generation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your daily car. Range Rover. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's I'm, the most over asked question you get? Then what like in motorsport? The most annoying one I get yeah. is when I when people are like you're a racing driver. I'm like, yeah, and then like F1, and I go, no, and I go, this is gonna be a long conversation. Yeah, <laughs> and then I go like, it's, you know, this long thing called Le Mans, 24 hours. And if they haven't had Le Mans, it's like game over. Yeah, yeah. And then like, there's three drivers like, oh, I've had like, you guys all drive the car at the same time. I was like, no, <laughs> like we don't just have three passes steering wheel across. Yeah, I've had that one quite a few times, yeah. and it's like crazy to me. Thank God for Ford versus Ferrari. Though. Uh, so, so literally, yeah. it's racing driver, F1, no. Have you heard of Le Mans? Yeah. No. Have you watched Ford Bus right? No. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry like, about it. Leave it. Yeah. Next topic. <laughs> uh, would you rather DNF on race day or not make it out of the garage uh, during qualifying? Oh, um, not make it out of the car's qualifying. Win from last. It's even better. Yeah. yeah. What one piece of racing memorabilia you would like to own? Or you currently own, maybe. Um, maybe like maybe one i know like racing drivers keep a lot of their race cars like if i win them on outright one day hopefully keeping that car but the problem is it's the two other drivers yeah. right <laughs> I, I and the team the yeah i don't know how that one's gonna play out and hopefully if it ever happens like that would be the coolest cool first celebrity crush ah uh, you know i what who would it be it would probably be like some disney star when i was watching like nickelodeon or something like that i want to say like um what's her name like I can't think of who it is. I can't think of the name now. The girl from iCarly. Oh, you, you know, you know? something Mosgrove? Yeah, something like that. The, yeah. one, the one that's also in um, uh, Sander, uh, School of Rock. Isn't it the same girl? I yeah, you know. know. Yeah, just say, it, say it, say it. Say it. No, I don't think, is it, wait, is it Carly? Or was it, was it was Carly, two right? Characters? Yeah. Was it two of the main characters? It's a really short girl. Oh, huh? I can't remember it. Exactly. Would, no yeah, one can remember yeah, the name. Yeah. That I don't know. It must be that. Yeah. He's like seven foot and she's like maybe five foot. Yeah. Five right. Oh, yeah. Mar Moran? Moran? No. Moran. Let's go with Moran. Yeah. There yeah. we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, what, what team would you bring back from the dead in F1? Whether it's Lotus, BMW. Um, you know what? Actually, like Toyota. Nice. Um, 
because it feels like the, no, no, not no, not what Toyota, yeah. Honda. Because every time they go in, yeah. they pull out, pull out just yeah. before they're gonna win something. Yeah. <laughs> Honda deserved to come back and actually gain the glory. Like they yeah. pulled out after one year of you know the success of Red Bull, and they just yeah. had another year they you know could have easily got. I mean, yeah. they're coming well, back. They, yeah, they are back. Yeah, twenty twenty six. But them probably. Yeah. Uh, you get into F one as a driver. Which team would you like to drive in? Ferrari. I think that's the. That's the GOAT team, right? Cool. Out of the current grid, who would you want as your teammate in F1? Um, someone I was confident of beating. Yeah. <laughs> to be um, but like, just pure, I mean, I'd love to, you know, have Max as a teammate or Lewis, one of the greats, to see what they're doing. Yeah. Who would you not want as a teammate? Uh, I'm really slow, actually. Mm. Um, yeah. Because I feel like you're not really progressing Progress, at that point yeah, if you're held as back. A team, you yeah. need two, you need two strong cars. Yeah. Um, I don't want to name any. Yeah. Names. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to get you. Oh, yeah. Most embarrassing moment you had in a racetrack, race race weekend. Uh, I've got to give one. Um, I did the Mitchell Le Mans Cup Series, and that time it was just GTs before they had LMP3s, and it was supporting the LMS calendar. And there was a race in Red Bull Ring, and there's a photo. You guys might be able to find it and pull it up. Oh, I don't know yeah. how you. And um, the team was really bad, really bad. And the safety car just came in. We're in a safety car. Safety car just came in. The like top three came in, or four, I think it was fifth. And I was like, well, great. Cycling to the lead. Just stay out. Everyone came in. Oh, no. The accident was at T1. Yeah. And I kind of hesitated. And I looked behind me, and the guy was also hesitating. So I just continued. So there's a photo of me just driving down the track on my own with all the cars like oh, in the pit lane. And I just like driving there like at safety car speed, like shit, I'm oh, gonna no. get in trouble yeah. for this. Yeah. And then I just kind of came round and they, they came out the pits and I just like sped up and slotted back into oh. my spot and was like, I hope no one realized. Got called up to the stewards. Luckily the call had come late to the teams, yeah. so we didn't get too much of a bollocking. Oh. But also the engineer just didn't say anything. Um, I was kind of left to figure it out. I mean, in hindsight, yeah. People are coming in, going with them. But I was like, no, I'm going to go to the lead. Like, what are you talking about? You guys all want to pit? Just wait before the pit window. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I used to be obsessed with the idea of flying. Mm-hmm. Um, but like reading someone's mind, I feel like it's way better. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. If not racing, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, something in sport, to be honest. Um, if it was something non, like not as like an athlete or competing, yeah. something in like, sports science, maybe, because I find that quite interesting. Um, but ideally, like working somewhere in the sports industry. What celebrity would be a good fit for racing? Oh, I, I'd imagine like sort of. I mean, some of the celebrities that already race, kind of. I would talk like historically the celebrities that were like great, like you know, sort of Paul Newman, um, Steve McQueen. That's I'd actually want to share the car with him. I want to yeah, meet yeah. those guys, you know. Cool. And share a prediction for the F1 season coming up. Like, who do you think is going to win the constructors and drivers in your opinion? I think it's going to be Red Bull dominated, to be honest. I think cool. it would be someone else to say otherwise. I think the interesting thing would be Mercedes versus Ferrari, maybe for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it seems a shame that one car is going to dominate, but I'm just, I don't know if it's bad for me to say, but I'm glad it's not going to be Mercedes. I want, you got Mercedes <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a yeah, fan. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's good yeah. for the sport to have yeah. someone else. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for anyone to beat Red Bull. Perfect. So last question. You're writing an autobiography on yourself. What Which one again? resonates with you the most? The Daredevil, the Dreamcatcher, the Free Spirit, 
the hardest worker, and I'm going to add a last one, the competitor. Oh, the, the competitor probably. The yeah. competitor or the hardest worker? Yeah. <laughs> the others just don't really sum me up. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Phil, for coming on. We always end with a simple question to our guests. Not really simple, but in 30 seconds, how do you want to be remembered? What sort of legacy do you do you want to leave behind? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, ideally the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm young. I've still got a few years in me. Um, hopefully quite a, a few. A lot more. Go yeah, on. exactly. Um, winning Le Mans outright a few times, hopefully. Nice as a world champion um but then ultimately like as a person just a, a nice guy hard worker fitness better at cross-country skiing than i am now <laughs> yeah. for sure um maybe not super competitive because i think it can get quite annoying but yeah um ultimately like a roundup of those things um first things first i want to be remembered for for winning and doing it a few times perfect hopefully. and if people want to follow along with the journey this year where can they follow you on, on honestly the only media? thing you can follow me on really is my instagram phil hansen racing um i definitely could be better on instagram but it's it, the content looks good it's always like photos are nice yeah, <laughs> <you> <laughs> amazing guys go and give phil a follow we'll put the description in the show notes as well if you guys have tuned in thus far thanks so much for watching feel free to drop a review here check out the other episodes on tracklimitspod.com and give us a follow on social media we'll see you in the next episode